Hello everyone! Welcome to the third episode of Kumusta Kumare, the monthly podcast of Napisev Persama Sama Project Philippine Team. Hi, my name is Rochelle and currently engaged in research about the sex trade and tourism here in Angela City. And I'm Mira Yusuf, and I'm based in Des Moines, Iowa, and I'm also one of the Napisev staff at based in the United States. And I'm Emma, I'm also with Napisev Philippines, focusing my work on women workers in the south of Luzon. In this episode, we will discuss the plight of women workers here in the Philippines. We will focus on the women workers in urban areas. Later in the show, we'll be hearing from Lisa, who used to work at a factory producing luxury bags for big brands like Louis Vuitton, Michael Kors, Coach. But first, this. Quick information about NAPISEV or the National Asian and Pacific Islander Ending Sexual Violence. We are a U.S.-based organization and our mission is to end sexual violence in the Asian and Pacific Islander or API communities and also to build healthy communities through transformative justice and social change. Last year, we started the Bursama Sama Project in the Philippines, Indonesia, and Guam in order for immigrant, refugee, settler communities from Asia and the Pacific to connect to their home countries. By building this relationship, communities will be able to both reconnect with traditional cultural practices and share movement building strategies. So Komusta Komare is the Bersama Sama Philippines team podcast and a way for our team to discuss issues facing women and girls in the Philippines. So we all know that the Philippines' major export is its own people. But this podcast will focus on workers in the Philippines here. I guess we need to look at ways our country's labor laws and employment opportunities can be improved. Hence, us Filipinas and Filipinos will not seek employment outside of the Philippines. So let's begin with the basics. So um, what is the legal age to work in the Philippines? And what is the minimum wage? Well, you have to be at least 18 to work legally. But as in all other poor countries, there is a huge gap between what is legal and what is the common practice, especially in the informal sector. We often see children as young as seven years old who are already working. Child labor is common in plantations and the mining industry. Of course, we also see the rise in the number of children forced into the sex trade. There are many minimum wage levels in the Philippines. In fact, the region where I'm in, which covers five provinces, has more than 50 levels, starting from 303 pesos to 400 pesos daily, depending on your location and work category. The minimum wage in the national capital region is 537 pesos for eight hours. So that's about how much? $10, more than $10 for eight hours of work. Here in the central Luzon region, it ranges between 304 to 420 pesos. So depending on the province, the sector or industry and the number of workers in that work category. If we're going to compute that per hour like you do in the States, that's somewhere uh, around 76 cents to $1 per hour for eight hours of work. 
And when you think this is very low, wait till we talk about its real value. How much can people buy with what they earn? The inflation rate is set at 2.6%, which is in fact artificially lower because oil prices plunge due to the pandemic. According to the most recent study conducted by Picodi, an e-commerce firm, of the 52 countries with minimum wage only enough to cover food, the Philippines is the 51st spot, besting Nigeria on the last spot. Which industries predominantly employ women workers, do you think? Uh, well, the service industry employs more women than men. We have what we call sales ladies and cashiers in malls, receptionists and chambermaids, waitresses in hotels and restaurants. When we talk about manufacturing, semiconductors and garments are predominantly women because they say that women have nimble fingers and are more patient and pay more attention to the smallest details. But since the early 2000s, more of the garment factories relocated to Bangladesh, where labor is said to be cheaper and is closer to India, where most of the raw materials come from. Thank you so much for that so much information about current labor situation in the Philippines. And also, I love the fact that you stated something about India, where most of their raw materials come from, because that reminds me of how colonialism and imperialism in itself still manifest in the current global economy, right? Taking raw materials from the South in order for the North to get, you know, to have like products. Are there laws that protect women or the LGBTQIA or even non-Christian, non-Catholic from discrimination and sexual harassment? Oh, yeah, we have a lot. We have lots of laws. There are many legislations for the protection of women, LGBTQIA, and non-Catholic and non-Christians. We have laws against sexual harassment, violence against women and children, Magna Carta for Women, Anti-Human Trafficking in Persons Act, and so many others. So if we talk about laws, there's so many laws in the Philippines. But again, as in all other laws, no matter how toothless, we see a huge gap between what is stated in the law and what is accepted to be the norm. If even the basic socio-economic rights of women workers are violated, like right to security of tenure or right to decent wage and safe workplaces, then all other rights founded on these rights will not even be recognized. Well, this is without saying that there is a hierarchy of rights because we believe that all rights are inherent and should be accorded to all human beings. But if you are a worker in a capitalist setup, you're expected to become strange from your sense of humanity. You're not supposed to have a life because you don't work to live. You simply live to work and you become an extension of the machines inside those factories Devoid of any feelings and aspirations, you're not allowed to think or determine your own course of action. So even if you experience harassment, violence, or discrimination, you would choose to be silent because you need your job. Kind of just like a quick question with that. So there are laws in the Philippines, but are they implemented? Are they even like, what is the word? You know, like if, if a woman worker had basically, or a let's say a Muslim woman worker, had stated that they're being discriminated, will the company follow the laws or it, it, it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter really because as we, we go along in, into 
our discussion later, we will see that you have laws under the assumption that the playing field is equal, that it applies to all. But in the Philippine context, that's not the case. There's always, you're a worker and you're a contractual worker and you're not allowed to complain. So you're not allowed to complain about poor wages. So you're not allowed to complain being harassed by your supervisor or your manager. So it's, it's really harder for women workers to complain or report cases of harassment or violence or discrimination. In fact, we had the chance of talking to lesbian workers. They were complaining that there's a discrimination. They are not allowed to uh, declare or state that they are lesbians. Otherwise, they're going to be discriminated. But they need a job. So they just follow the what is asked by their managers or supervisors, even though they feel that they're being discriminated. I just want to add to that as well. Like you heard that our minimum wage is really low, right? Imagine 76 cents per hour. But even that is not always followed. There are so many workers who are working below the minimum wage. So this is so basic. But then again, so many employers do not follow this and then nothing happens. Um, what happens usually is that if you complain, the employers will just tell you that if you don't like your situation here, you can always just leave and find employment elsewhere. So that's always the situation. For every job vacancy, there are thousands of workers queuing up to grab that post. So even if there are laws, the Philippines is supposed to have a lot of laws protecting the workers, protecting women, protection for workers in general. But these laws, like Emma mentioned, are really toothless. They don't mean anything for the workers because the workers, one, maybe they don't know their rights. And still, even if they feel that there is injustice being done to them and they are experiencing injustice, they really just lost any trust that if they air their grievances, they will get protection against uh, retaliation, or if they air their grievances and they file complaints, if anything would happen out of that. So many just think that it's it's a bother to file complaints with the labor office or uh, even the police or whichever authority has that jurisdiction over their complaint. They just don't feel anything will happen favorably to them if they will file the complaint. So that is the situation in terms of the laws for the workers. I would like to ask Emma as well, in her opinion, what you think is the major issue facing women workers in the Philippines? Well, two years ago, we held several uh, workers' fairs in different workers' communities. So it's like uh, we asked permission to uh, use a public school or a vacant lot where we set up different desks for different concerns like illegal dismissal, occupational safety and health. We also provide fun activities for the workers. We also have a delegated desk for women's concerns where we uh, gave out free pepper spray for them and other useful uh, information materials on women's rights. In those several workers' fairs, we managed to um, gather complaints from different workers from different factories. And 
they say that their main complaint is being contractual workers forever. The contractualization law in the Philippines says that if you stay longer than six months in one company, then on the first day after your six months, it's automatic that you will be considered as regular, but that's not the case. So, so many complaints against contractualization, uh, low wages, and illegal dismissal. I found this testimony from an Indonesian garment worker from the Clean Clothes Campaign website. They say that Indonesian women employees report that girls in the factory are harassed by male managers. They come on to the girls, call them into their offices, whisper into their ears, touch them bribe them with money and threaten them with firing if they don't have sex with them. Have you encountered the same or similar experience with the women workers you've spoken to as well? I was talking about the workers' fair that we had. Uh, There was this one woman uh, worker who complained that her contract was never renewed because according to her, her supervisor has this lay-down or lay-off scheme. So... If you don't sleep with him, you're going to be laid off. So uh, knowing that her contract is about to end, she offered herself but her supervisor declined because the supervisor told her that she was not pretty enough. And she was complaining of the discrimination. She said that uh, the supervisor never said that you're supposed to be pretty or good-looking or attractive to sleep with him and she was complaining about the discrimination and we were trying to explain to her that she's working for the same company for more than three contracts as per law she should be regularized on the first day after her six months she did not file a formal complaint she just informed us that there's this uh lay down or layoff in that factory. That factory manufactures all the gravy and breading for the chicken of Jollibee, Chow King, and Greenwich. Hi, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like uh, yeah, lasagna. Just, it's... it's like a lasagna of exploitation and discrimination. <laughs> layers upon layers of exploitation. Yeah. yeah, it just it just shows us how really messed up this whole capitalist relations is and how it affects everyone of us, especially women, like to the core. Yeah, and um, it is also a common practice here that you will be asked to uh, resign if you get pregnant because if you're a contractual worker, you don't get maternity leave. It's, it's just not your right to avail uh, maternity leave. So you will be asked to resign and then come back if they still want you. I think rights awareness and education is also lacking. Usually they are just told the things they're not supposed to do, but not the things that they can do. Uh, making them aware of their rights and how to make mechanisms for grievance or redress more accessible for them is very important. And these are just the uh, peripheral problems. But I think there are two connected issues when we talk about women workers. One is vulnerability and the second is isolation. They are distinct, but they are very connected. They say that abusers 
first identify your vulnerability and lay out the plan for abuse based on those things. And then they isolate you. Isolation is a key for the abuse or the perpetuation of the abuse. Low wages and lack of job security makes women workers vulnerable. If they're poor, they're desperate and therefore more prone to abuse. On the other hand, any form of association or organization is prohibited. You cannot form or join unions. This is isolation. Abusers remove all the conditions for you to seek help. And if you are isolated, there is some sort of acceptance of the exploitative conditions you are in because there is a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. So they use your vulnerability to exploit you and use your isolation to oppress you. So uh, it's exploitation of women workers in the sense that when we talk about their uh, relationship as workers with their capitalists, it's not very much different from when we study sexual violence, sexual harassment, when it's all about power, taking advantage of your vulnerability or isolating victims. So it's it's not very different. So who are the uh, owners of a lot of the this um, manufacturing businesses in the Philippines? Mostly Chinese, Japanese, and those capitalists from the U.S. I'm doing my work near the economic zones. Economic zones, uh, they also have a lot of, or big, big economic zones where Rochelle is in right now. So these economic zones, they are huge properties where foreigners are allowed own businesses because in our constitution, that is not allowed. So what the government did is they made a law allowing foreign capitalists to own businesses here in the Philippines, provided that they are located in what we call uh, economic zones. So most of them are foreigners. We interviewed Lisa, a contractual worker for a Chinese-owned and managed luxury bags manufacturing company in Pampanga employing thousands of workers for big brands like Michael Kors, Coach, and Louis Vuitton. This is what we learned. Women workers basically need to pay to get a job. For applications to even be accepted, you must submit numerous documents for which you also need to submit requirements. They pay fees upon fees, visit offices upon offices. When I apply in the company, we use money to apply and then to the medical, the, all the requirements. We have no money to apply. I borrowed through my sister. The MBI, the TIN number, the SSS number, barangay clearance, police clearance, and then the medical. All the expenses plus transport is okay. to 2200 Women workers have no job security. Because of the country's very flexible labor policy, Lisa is one of the millions of contractual workers employed under very precarious conditions with hardly any legal protection. No more contract. No contract. I did, I did not. Oh, no, okay. No so, contract. When we start the HR, tell that you start tomorrow. Before we start, the management said we go in this room and then we go seminar. The seminar, all they told that this is your salary, is 400 pesos. We have sick leave. The SSS Philhelper Libig is 50% to the factory workers and then 50% to the owner of the factory. 
we have course leave since October 2019 up to now. Told to us that uh, you have a course leave at five or six months. Wait our call. We call, we you come back. When they dared ask why, the Chinese said, no, you don't understand because we have no materials. Said, sir, we have no materials. Look at my stock room. This is a full of materials. It's not true, I said. They have full of materials in the stock room. I saw it. After a week, I come back in the factory, but I saw too much applicant. Two girls go uh, outside and then I asked, it's hiring. She said, yes, madam. We pass and then the HR management said we work tomorrow, 8 o'clock. Workers are physically, verbally, and psychologically abused. While some might say it could just be the language barrier or cultural differences, there is no excuse for any of this. First day experience in the factory. I can see the Chinese shouting all the Filipino workers inside. And then the materials we make, sometimes they have problem in the gluing. The materials they get and they drop in the face of the Filipino workers. And then Filipino workers, they cried. I saw it. They cried. Sometimes the Filipino workers said to the manager, Sir, why? Why you do that to me? And then the Chinese answered that, you're a fuck you. Like this, you're a fuck you. Uh, you're not good. The answer of the Filipino workers, she said, no. We are all good because we make your brand. We make all this bug. The Chinese, they told me that, no, you're not good. You're Filipino, fuck you. For the day shift, it's uh, 12 hours. And then the break time of is only 15 minutes. The 15 minutes go down is uh, the workers, the one factory is 1,000. And then the 1,000 workers go down. One by one, freeze the security guard. But more the 15 minutes. If you go down, it's maybe the 10 minutes. If you go up after 15 minutes, maybe it's 2 a.m. Chinese said, you out, you out. You go home, you go home. Don't go up because you're late. You're late one minute, you're late two minutes. With everything that you have to do before you get to the canteen to eat your lunch, how many yeah. minutes do you have left to eat? Sometimes 25 minutes before I get the lunch in the canteen. So you have to eat really fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then after it, we go run and run and run. <laughs> we go to freeze the lady guard and then we go up. Can I ask about bathroom break? How is it in your factory? With the bathroom break, they have a problem. When we tell to your line leader that I want to go in bathroom, but the leader tell, no, the manager is here. Don't go in the bathroom. If you see the Chinese, you go in the bathroom, and then the Chinese go in the bathroom. No, you go back to your work. For drinking water, is not good because the drinking water is far in the table. If you want to drink water, the Chinese don't go. It's a one time you called in the microphone that oh only one. But if you go too much. Uh, For the whole duration that you were working there, that hmm. is your everyday experience. Yes. Every, every single day. day you have to go through this kind of uh, stressful yes. situation. Yes, yes, yes. Everyday experience. Too much. Wow. Just too much. 
Not only are the workers mistreated and overworked, they're also underpaid with their employees robbing them off their mandatory benefits. For one whole month, yes. do you get any days off? Do you have mm. rest days? No day off, no rest days, no absence. Okay, but do you get rest day overtime premium? No. You work straight for 30 days, so yeah, sometimes hours it's, it's a day. Yes, but you don't get extra pay for working on your rest day. Yeah, the management told the workers that it's 8 hours for a daily rate of 400 pesos. The rest of 4 hours is for the overtime. When we get the salary, the overtime is no no pay all. How much is your overtime pay? Or They compute the 400 divided uh, by 8. Are you aware that that is not the right computation? No, that is not the right. Because uh, yeah. sometimes uh, the computation, like uh, for example, say uh, 67 pesos, and then we paid at uh, 30 to 37 pesos. Mm. That is 30 because, pesos cut. Because the uh, legal overtime premium should be 1.5. Ah, so, yeah, so for example, you get 400 pesos yeah. for 8 hours. So 50, 50 per, pesos hour. per hour. Yeah. You multiply that by 1.5. Uh, so that's you're supposed 75. to receive 75 pesos per every hour. hour exceeding 8 hours. Yeah. 300. 300 so you should be getting yeah. 700. Uh -huh. Yeah. For 700 for yeah. night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No a night differential. The same. Wow. Yeah. Oh. oh my gosh. Do you know that a worker is entitled to 24 hours rest day after no. 40 hours of working? So if you're forced to work, even though it's supposed to be your rest day, there's another computation. But you told us that you don't have any rest day, but you don't get rest yes. day overtime premium as well. Are you also aware that your SSS contribution should only be equivalent to 11% of your basic yes. rate? And then you're not supposed to pay for everything. Kasi 8% should be paid by your employer or by your agency. Yes. As long as it's not charged to the worker. Yes. But if they're collecting... Uh, or 999 they're... pesos per payout. Almost 2,000 yeah. pesos. Yeah. It means that they are making you pay for their obligation. Yes. That's the only logical explanation that I can think of. And then after that, the contribution we paid, not paid in the SSS. Because yeah. the many workers that they pregnant, they have uh -oh. a sick leave or anything that they try to claim the no, no, no more contribution in the SSS for almost uh -uh. maybe three years, five years. Wow. Oh my yes. gosh. So Payslips are very important for us workers. What's your payslip like? The payslip is very important to me because uh, when my brother claimed to SSS, the SSS tell that uh, we have no contribution in the SSS, their company. The SSS asked that where is your payslip? The payslip is your evidence. That's why I want a payslip when I first my salary. I go to HR and then I ask that I want my payslip. The HR told that we have a machine in the factory and then I use the machine and then we get small paper in the like same with the receipt of the ABM machine and then I get in my wallet the payslip. My bag is inside in the locker. After my duty, I go down. I want to see again my payslip. 
when I saw that, my facelift is clear. It's only paper. And then after I put in my wallet, all the workers put in their wallet. And then they smile, what is this? Where is <laughs> magic? Yeah. Where is our first tip? And then after we go again in the HR and then complain. All workers complain. What is this? Where is our original facelip? The HR, no more original facelip. But enough, she said. Workers cannot expect any real protection from the government. The labor laws mostly favor the employers, hardly ever the employees. On my personal opinion, factory yeah, is too much the confidence and then maybe protection. Yeah, maybe it's a government protection. Yeah, because every time the Filipino workers said that we go in a dole, we go in the NRC, they said, go, you go. No problem. When you were on forced leave, you went to the Department of Labor or the branch that takes care of the complaints. What happened yeah. there? When I go there, 20 people of uh, one group, the management come and then the, I don't know, it's fiscal or... Uh, Arbiter. Yeah. She said that the management want to give 5,000 pesos a year. If you want to complain and you file a complaint in the court and then why not go? She said, that's the offer. That's it. For law, you're only supposed to get 50% of your monthly pay and then you multiply it by how many years you stayed in your company. But if we include how many days you were underpaid because you're supposed to get 420 but you only get 400. Yeah, 400. So yeah, yeah, and if you are claiming money from, from the company, if your claim is underpayment and non-payment of wages, you add, I think, 2% interest. And then on top of that, you can also claim moral and exemplary damages because of that stress, that trauma of having to go through the very poor working conditions. And the thing with filing complaints, you need yeah. to produce the payslip, right? Yeah. Yes. yeah. To show what wages were not paid or mm. if they were underpaid. Mm. And with their situation, with the magic payslip, where you see the numbers in the morning and then yes, and then the night, in evening, it's all gone. No, no numbers. You, you would now see why they would do things like this. So mm -hmm. that to make it even more difficult for the workers to file complaints. That's why it's so easy for them to tell the workers, okay, if you want, you can go to the yeah. Department of Labor and complain. You do that. Yes. And they did yes. that, yes. right? You guys yes. did that. You went there. You aired your grievances. You asked the government, what yes. can you do for us, right? We experience injustice here in the hands of these Chinese owners. So what are you going to do? For us, how did you feel? Like, I saw no justice in our country. Workers are not asking for too much. I'm just wondering, like, if you can change something, what do you want to be changed? Maybe give all the benefits and then the salary, 400 pesos a day. It's not too much. Maybe the incentives, maybe 
I want to cut the night shift because the night shift is not good to us because the work in the night shift, sometimes they have a leukemia, sometimes anemic, not good to our body to not sleep. That is the, I want to change. No, yung vision niya. It's very simple, right? Better wages, yeah. better labor conditions. So simple. And then how much profits do they want to make? You know, like it's a greediness, you know? So I'm just kind of thinking that way. It's not too much to ask at all. I remember Atelisa sharing with me yesterday yeah. that in a day she can produce three Louis Vuitton bags. Yes, all the make bags, and then I saw the tag price because when we finished the bag, we put in a tag the US dollars, and then I compute the price of the bag. I said, "Oh my God, it's uh maybe in the peso is a." 250,000 pesos one Louis Vuitton bag or a coach bag or an MT bag. You're working and then you get 400 pesos in yeah. a day. They compute 30 pesos per hour for overtime. So you yes. get less less than $20 in a day and then they get to sell the bags yeah. for 250,000 pesos. Yeah. Too wow. much expensive. And then the small wallet is uh, equivalent 40,000 pesos. It's a coins, coin wallet. Personally, how do you feel about that? So you make something and then you get oh paid a very, like just a tiny portion from yeah. it. When I make the bag, it's in my mind that they use the bag is, uh, I think, gawako uh, yun or yun nga, pinaghirapan. Pero yun gumagamit nga is binili. Uh, Mahal, pero kami ang kumawa. The workers are all the branded bag makes the Filipino workers, not the owner, not the Chinese owner. The Filipino workers make all the branded bag. <laughs> Pag naisip yun sa ahol, parang ang yung mayaman na lang, yung owner na lang. Kawawa ang mga manggagawa. Gagawa ang kawawa. I was also thinking that even if they give you 2,000 pesos a day for yeah. your 12-hour shift, yeah. they, too much money. they yeah. still have a lot. No. They would not go back bankrupt if they give you increase, yeah, yeah. if they treat you well, if they let you that, have longer breaks, yes. they would not go bankrupt because they sell the bags at a very high price. But what I realized with uh, the stories that you share, wherever you go, it's almost exactly the same. The complaints of the workers, it's, yes. it's almost the same. Yeah, Di- different employer, different factory, different province or region. But the problems of women workers are the same. It doesn't mean that, oh, you are being treated because uh, you work in Pampanga. Because if yeah. you go to other provinces, Like Pataan or Sambales or Laguna or Cavite or Batangas. It's the same problem. Women workers need all the support they can get in order to assert their rights and better their conditions in the factories. Please help the Filipino workers here in Philippines. The rights of the Filipino, uh, please help. Please help the workers inside in the company because uh, all of them are not uh, okay. Because uh, the factory is not good to the Filipino workers. Thank you. 
that was Maring Lisa giving us the inside story on the issues and struggles of contractual factory workers in Pampanga. Now let's listen in on Emma's inspiring conversation with Christine and Geraldine, labor leaders from the province of Laguna. Hi, so now we have two very young women workers here and they're going to tell us more about their life, their struggles and their hopes. My name is Christine Godoy. I am 23 years old. I'm from province of Quezon. I have four siblings and I am the eldest. I am now the breadwinner of our family. My name is Geraldine Gomez, 26 years old, single mother. I have a son, 6 years old now. I live in Laguna and I have two siblings. And I am the eldest. I'm also breadwinner of my family. At the age of 14, I stopped my studying at high school. My father have no work, so I decide to work as a housemaid. It's really hard for me to work as a housemaid. Every day I see a teenager like me going to school and I'm telling myself that why I'm not be like them. Why I'm working as a housemaid. I'm cooking every day. I'm washing their clothes. I'm cleaning the house. I'm carrying their children. So I'm working as an all-around housemaid. And my salary is only 3000 a month. Too small. And this is not enough for my family needs and for my siblings because they're also studying as elementary. And after four years as a housemaid, when I was turning to 18, I decided to back into study in alternative learning system. Alternative Learning System is a project of uh, the Department of Education for young adults who were not able to finish uh, high school and have no high school diploma. How about you, Geraldine? Can you tell us how you ended up working as a factory worker here in Laguna? When my father died, I stopped studying in high school. How old were you? 15 years old and decided to work in market in Kappa Starlock with the salary of 2500 Too small but I have no choice but to work to buy food for my family and also work in school canteen while taking care of my siblings because my mother is left to work also. Because I really want to finish my study. At least high school, I decided to study in ALS, Alternative Learning System. I was so happy to finish my study because that's the only chance to work in a good company. And also, it's my dream. So what was your first job after graduating in ALS? I service to in workers' stand and with the salary of 150 pesos per day. After one year studying, I am graduated as a valedictorian. That day after I am graduating, I have only one dream. It is very simple because I only want to work as a factory worker. Because for me, in that day, being a factory worker is a very big opportunity. As a girl or as a teenager like me that will not study at a college degree. Wow, you're so smart. So we have a valedictorian here. Where did you first work? 
I'm working at the SPI Corporation after I am graduating at the ALS. And you, uh, Geraldine? I'm also working in SPI. SPI, I think, is a factory that manufactures candies. So, how was it? Do they pay well? Do they pay enough? When I working at the SPI, when I, when we are have um orientation, um the HR said that our salary is three hundred sixty five pesos per day or at per twelve hours. For me, in that day, it was so very big because for being a, a housemaid, my salary is only three thousand a month or one hundred per day. So three hundred sixty five pesos. For 12 hours is really big for me. I never think that 365 is really very low salary for 12 hours working at the company. As a factory worker in a food company, I'm expecting a clean company but it's opposite because it's very dirty. And every candy falling in the floor, we put back again into the machine. I, I also thought that these food companies, since they are making food, the factory and the workplace is very clean and sanitized. So you, you both worked uh, in SPI. After that, where did you work? After a month that I am working at SPI, I was realized that 365 pesos a day is really small for a salary to us. So I was decided to found other company and I found Pepmaco Manufacturing Company. I'm starting working since July 2016. Pepmaco Company is made laundry, soap, dishwashing liquid, and also a fabricon. When I left SPI, I'm expecting that Pepmaco is not like SPI because I'm just expecting Pepmaco is a good company. That Pepmaco will not violating our rights as a factory worker, but this is opposite because Pepmaco have no hearts for their workers. Many workers at Pepmaco was working a long year, like um 13 years working as a contractual. They didn't give the PPE or the personal protective equipment for their workers to protect them at the chemicals at the company. Chemical is using to make their product or their soap, their liquid or their powder detergent. We have no gloves and we have no any kind of PPE or protection. So our body or our hands got blisters and our skin was burned. Because the chemicals that using to make um our products is so very is so very harsh, and many of our co-workers was sick and their lungs had the spot because of the chemicals that we inhale. That's that's really bad. They use very harsh chemicals called surfactant, which is known to be very harmful to our body familiar with the products of your company 
And I know that many big stars here in the Philippines, they advertise uh, the products of Pepmaco. Judy Ann Santos, Sarah Geronimo, even Susan Roses, Marian Rivera. So I know that they pay millions of money to uh, these superstars to endorse. And yet the company does not provide uh, face masks and other personal protective uh, equipments to, to its workers. And most of the workers who have been in the company for as long as 13 years, yet they were still contractual workers. They were not regularized. Our supervisor was very strict and cruel because every day they are pushing us to make a very high output even if we're so very tired because we have no rest day and difficult for me because I have a child. I don't see my son anymore. Our supervisor said we have no right to have a rest day. Wow. So what did you do regarding your condition? Pepmako was so very many violations to our rights as um, a factory workers. We so have many bad experience at their workplace and we decide to organize our co-workers and we told them that we need to fight because there is no people that fighting our rights. Kundi kami lang na mga manggagawa o kami lang yung lalaban para dun sa mga karapatan namin. After experiencing all these really bad things as women workers, can you tell us, uh, was it difficult convincing fellow women workers? Because I know both of you are active members of your union. And in fact, Tintin is the secretary and Geraldine is the chairperson of the Women's Committee of the Union. Of course, it's really hard for us to organize our co-workers especially the women of Pepmaco because many women at the Pepmaco will also like us, um, like Geraldine, um, a single mother and also like me that a breadwinner. So they were so afraid to lose their job because the salary that they have from Pepmaco, they are using to support their kids or, or their families. I'm very interested, uh, Geraldine. I know that, yeah, you're a single mother. What made you decide that you will uh, be part of the organization? Was it hard for you? Can you tell us more? What made you decide? Yes, for me, it's really hard to decide. But I don't want to experience the other what I have been experiencing with Mako. After we organized all our co-workers in Pepmaco, we decided to hold a strike this last year, June 24. And our strike was so very successful. But after three days, while we are sleeping, 1 a.m., 500 goons and guards of Pepmaco was attacking us. They beat us. Um, they're using a water cannons to push our away at the gate of Pepmaco. And they're also throwing us stones and bottle. The 12 of our co-workers and it's also, I think it's 8 girls and 4 boys have injuries. After illegal dispersal on June 28th, 
we decided to stand up again and went back of our picket line. Simeon Chu, the owner of Pepmaco, did not stop to push us away of our, of our picket line. So August 19, Simeon Chu dispatched 200 police officers to destroy our picket line and arrest uh, our members with no warrant. So you are both aware that President Duterte said that the anti-terror bill is uh, one of his priority bills and in fact it is already signed by both House of Representatives and the Senate. So it is now in his table waiting for his signature. How do you think will the uh, anti-terror bill affect you as, as women workers who are fighting for your rights? Because I know that especially in Laguna, There are so many seminars being held by the Philippine National Police and the military, the AFP. They go around different communities and barangays asking people or telling people that these organizations are supporters of terrorists. They specifically named different unions and your union uh, was identified to be support terrorist organizations. How do you think... Um, Will this um, affect you? Yes, it's more difficult to fight of our right. Even before without the anti-terrorism bill, from our experience to our strike, even the police, they are violating our rights as, as striking workers. So what will happen now that there are anti-terrorism bill into our country? I agree because I'm quite familiar with your experience and I know how on the first time that you were dispersed, the policemen were there and they just watched as the goons forced you out from your picket line. They beat you and they thrown stones at you and on the second time that it was dispersed, it was really actually the police who dispersed your picket line and arrested you without warrant. It's a labor dispute and they should be 50 meters away from your picket line. It's, it's really a tough question to answer. What's going to happen if this bill is signed into law? I know that it's going to be very difficult for young women workers like you to uh, form unions or hold strikes and uh, protest because easily you would be tagged as a terrorist or supporters of terrorist organization. So young, but you have experienced a lot in life. But it did not stop you to fight for your rights for other women workers like you. In this uh, current situation that we experience now with the pandemic and the anti-terror bill, what's your message? Um, being a mother, I'm not just a mother. I need to be strong and fight for my future of my child. My message for my fellow women workers is don't be afraid to fight for our rights because before I never imagined that I see myself that shouting, shouting my rights on the street and also I didn't see myself leading a hundred workers to our strike. And I know that if I can do it at my young age, I know that every one of us, women workers, you can do it also. 
thank you Emma and Rochelle so I'm kind of now wondering about like information or description about OFWs we cannot we cannot not talk about uh, overseas Filipino workers when we talk about workers here in the Philippines because overseas Filipino workers is a product of joblessness, landlessness, and extreme poverty in the Philippines. Actually, we have 15 million overseas Filipinos in 123 countries. We have Filipinos in Kazakhstan. Can you believe it? And their yearly remittance represent 10% of the annual uh, GDP, which is seven times more than the foreign direct uh, investments. Actually, one organization that I used to work with, uh, Migrante International said, and even the Central Bank of the Philippines said that if only in one day that the overseas Filipinos would stop sending money to the Philippines, the whole economy would collapse. So that is how important the remittance is to the Philippines because we, we need the dollars. Uh, remittances are sent to the Philippines in dollars. And we need so dollar this, Yeah, so this 15 million Filipinos overseas out of, what, 109 million yeah. total population, does that include the undocumented workers already? No, no, not yet. Uh, mm. So we have, we have a lot of undocumented workers or undocumented Filipinos in the U.S. In, and in Europe. So they are not, not included. This data is from the uh, Center for Filipinos Overseas and the Philippine Overseas Employment Administration. So Middle East is still the top destination of household service workers. So primarily the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia where we have 1.5 million Filipinos. Most of them are household service workers, Kuwait, Lebanon, even war-torn countries like Syria. We used to deploy Libya. We used to deploy and Iraq. We, 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 we deploy uh, Filipinos there despite the high number of cases of abuse in those countries. And uh, would you believe that the standard minimum wage for household service workers in the Middle East is only 400 US dollars a month? So that is very telling of the economic situation of the women in the Philippines because if you're willing to take your chance abroad, leave your family for 400 US dollars a month, you must be in a very desperate situation. What these women say, they say that I do household chores every day for free. So I might as well get paid for it abroad. So Emma, so my question, uh, like for the OFWs, what is the percentage by gender? I think it's the women migrant workers comprise, I think, 52 or 53 percent of the total number of uh, migrant workers that we deploy every day. So most of them are household service workers, health professionals, nurses, caregivers. Your orientation is... Uh, so that's just uh, household service uh, workers. Uh, yep. So primarily, they are being sent to uh, uh, the countries in the Middle East. Uh, but we also have... Um, what we call the Filipina entertainers. 
Japan used to be the top destination for uh, Filipino entertainers. But during the uh, early 2000s, Japan closed its doors to what we like to call uh, overseas performing artists. During that time when when Japan, I, I, I'm not really sure what, what's the exact year, but early 2000s, kapatiran ng mga Pilipina sa Nagoya. They reported that during uh, those years or during that period when Japan closed its uh, doors to uh, overseas uh, performing artists, they got so many cases of Filipinas who became victims of domestic violence because what these uh, Filipinas did, they uh, went into uh, marriage for convenience. So they asked Japanese, random Japanese to uh, marry them so that they will not be sent home. And since their visas are tied to their husbands, they endured so many abuses and, and violence. So they received a lot of complaints, petitions against their husbands in that period. So our government during that time was forced into signing the JPEPA or the Japan-Philippine Economic Partnership Agreement, which basically says that we will import bananas and pineapples. We have a lot of bananas and pineapples here in the Philippines. So we're, we're going to import Japanese bananas and pineapples. In return, we can export caregivers to Japan. But now, the destination of Filipino entertainers is South Korea, near where the U.S. military bases, and Malaysia, and Dubai. And there are also uh, some who are working in the red light districts in, in Thailand. Ay, nako. <laughs> in exchange for bananas and ano pala? <laughs> oh! And pineapple. Yeah. After that, uh, most, uh, most of those displaced uh, entertainers Old in caregiving schools so they, they can go back to Japan. Knowing our people and our history, we've always fought against oppression and injustices. So let's discuss the different movements and struggles where the women were in the forefront, especially women workers. Do you uh, have anything to share about this, Emma? Yeah, I'm so happy you uh, asked that question because uh, it's starting to depress me talking about problems. But in the short period of time that I'm organizing workers, I can say that I've witnessed how women workers led organizing women and men workers alike to get out of that vulnerable situation I was talking about earlier. So asserting their rights to regular jobs, decent wages, and safe workplaces. I witnessed how women rallied their co-workers to tear down the barriers and walls of isolation. They formed their organizations and unions. They were beaten with truncheons, they were threatened, they were arrested, they were jailed. But they did not stop. And every day that I get to work with these uh, young women, seeing them, how they reach out to other women workers, how they listen to horrid stories, how they retell and relate, how they inspire others, they bring me so much hope and courage. And uh, during this uh, pandemic, I saw how women who lost their source of income 
because of the lockdown, set up community kitchens to help each other out. It's really inspiring. So those are very important things right now with the current economic and political situation in the world. We are all bracing for how this pandemic will certainly be used by those who are in power to exploit and oppress more. We see that now with the real roading of the anti-terror bill, the silencing of media, the crackdown of activists, and basically vilifying dissent. We know for sure that we will see more workers getting laid off, more exploitation and oppression, more violence against women, but definitely we will see more and more unbowed Women setting up cooperatives, self-help group organizations, committees, women leading protests and taking into their hands their destination and course of action. Wow. wow. Yeah, I, I, I love the way that you stated uh, more about it. I, I love that. Because it's, it's, it's the only way to go the more oppressed you are. I think the harder you should fight. There's no other way. And every day that women face and experience exploitation, the more courage they have to look that exploitation in the eye and to fight hard. We should all be inspired. I think this podcast, no matter how bleak the picture is, it, it should all bring us hope that women will rise, women workers will rise in their thousands, organizing, leading other workers, because yeah. that's the only way to go. Thank you, Emma and Rochelle, for the information regarding the worker situation in the Philippines. So, listening to the plight of workers, and especially women workers in the Philippines, makes me think of the labor exploitation in the late 1800s and early 1900s that basically led to different uh, laws, right? Especially in the United States. Although there are labor laws in the Philippines, these laws are toothless, as Emma describes it. In reality, there are no protections for workers, whether they are working in a manufacturing company, making really expensive designer bags and wallets, or working in a banana plantation in Mindanao. However, this is not only happening in the Philippines. The situation in the Philippines has similarities to those of workers throughout the world, including the workers at meatpacking businesses here in Iowa, where I live. Our conversation uh, reminded me of a recent interview of Angela Davis on NPR last week, where she stated, I think that bringing people together in movements, creating solidarity means representing ourselves, not primarily as individuals, but as members of communities of struggle. And that led me to this question to how then do we create global worker solidarity and global communities of struggle? that's it for us for this episode don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast see you next month and as emma will say arise organize and moisturize agitate and exfoliate see you at our episode four this podcast is supported by the novo foundation for more information about napisev visit our website at napisev.org